You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And this morning, what we have the great privilege of doing is we're going to, we have a very special morning planned. We are going to hear four miracle stories. And they're really God's stories because his, it's his testimony, really. Because he is the one who relentlessly goes after us, relentlessly loves us, and redeems us. And so to Sunday, we're having a testimony Sunday. We're going to get to hear from Nancy Sivitanich. Andy Steberg, Katrina McKinley, and Paul Hammond about how God has redeemed them. Uh, I have a couple announcements before they come out. Uh, please don't forget we do have an all-church midweek this Wednesday. We will have our new First Step book, so please get them there Wednesday night. And again, this is before we grow into our two separate faith families for South Bay Church. So this will be our last midweek together. Please, everybody, be there and pick up your first principles books. But uh, let's go ahead and let's hear God's first miracle story, Nancy Sivitanich. Um, good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Nancy Sivitanich, and I became a disciple 26 and a half years ago. I was met at work in L.A. After many, many attempts for the brother to get me to church, I finally said yes to going to the service at the Shrine Auditorium. Immediately that day, I was asked to study the Bible. I felt so nervous that I had said yes because part of me knew that you don't play around with God. All the studies were great, and I was in awe at the fact that I had never learned about the Bible the way the sisters were presenting it to me. The study that made the most impact on my heart was the cross. I, I was amazed at God's true and deep love for me. I had never known love like that. As a result, I was baptized on November 22, 1992. Two years later, on November 12, um, 12 1994, Anthony and I got married. In 98, we moved to San Pedro. There were a lot of challenges in our marriage. One, I was too prideful and felt embarrassed to talk to disciples about our marriage. And two, I was very critical of Anthony. Anthony um, was already going through his own challenges, and the last thing he needed was a prideful and critical wife. That same year, Anthony decided to leave the church, and that was devastating. My heart was broken. He left the church for 10 years. I felt lonely and my faith was dwindling. I fought to persevere in finding comfort in God's words through these scriptures. Hebrews 4.13, Deuteronomy 10.12, uh, Deuteronomy 31.8, Colossians, Romans 12, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But my favorite uh, and the one that I found the most comforting was this, Ephesians 3.17 through 19. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
I also found comfort from sisters in the church. And believe it or not, during that time, Kevin Means. I appreciated the fact that he always asked me about Anthony and let me know that he was praying for him. I learned um, from these men and women, or men and women, to put God first always, to trust God and the importance of being open and humble. In 2003, we had our first baby girl, Kira, and in 2005, we had our second baby, Kylie. And with tears in my eyes, I would share with Anthony how much we missed him at church. Amen. He eventually started coming to church with us. We would sit in the back, and I was beaming with joy, and he was looking stoic. But I didn't say anything to him because I was grateful he was there. I'm not sure how it happened, but Henry Kramer contacted Anthony and got together with him to study the Bible. On November 8, 2008, Anthony got restored. Woo! <laughs> And all glory goes to God. I can't take any credit for that. I just want to leave you with this, that no matter how discouraged you feel today, don't give up. There are blessings waiting at the end of the tunnel. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap, proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In October 2011, my mom got baptized at the age of 70. And on October 15, 2017, my oldest daughter got baptized. So if you're studying the Bible today, persevere and reach out to God. He's reaching back and fighting for you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It is such an honor to be able to share this song with you. Um, it's been always been a dream of mine to share a song that I wrote with the church. Um, so a little backstory. Um, I, you know, I grew up as a kingdom kid. And for those of you who may not know what a kingdom kid is, I was born and raised just going to this church. My family was a part of this church. Um, and it's funny how our perspective can, I don't know, I almost feel like we can kind of take God for granted we can almost like, oh, thanks. <laughs> we can, um, you know, just kind of assume, unfortunately, that we know better than the world. And so this song in itself is actually kind of a journey of reflection for myself and my relationship with God because it starts out very kind of almost, almost, I want to say like almost self-righteous, just kind of like what I'm seeing wrong in the world. And while the, it may be true, um, I also, you know, you have to look back at yourself and your own character. And so this song is definitely a journey of just learning about who I am with God and how much I need Him as well. Amen. This is called Better for the Soul. <clears throat> is it on? <laughs> it needs to be on first. Let's do that. There she is. All right. 
picked up on a few things when you take that road you realize it's laden with sorrow and you'll just chalk it up to be a human i've been hearing all your cries about your heart stressed and holes adorned with accessories along as a nation, we chant, we're just all lonely people. The sheep forgot their shepherd, now they can't find the stable.
Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, my name is Andrew Steberg. I'm 14, and uh, I became a disciple September 20th, 2018. Um, since the theme of uh, the testimonies today are come and see, I thought I'd share about some of the people who have uh, connected me to Jesus throughout my life and the impact he's had on my life within the past uh, three years. Um, growing up in the church, I definitely have, uh, I've had a lot of good experiences with spiritual uh, people, and me I've had spiritual mentors that I feel like every uh, boy and girl needs growing up. Uh, starting off with Owen Thomas, he started uh, coaching me when I was like a sixth grader. I was like, I was a little clumsy, kind of tall, but really chubby um, kid, and I remember not re really being very fond of him at first, because like, all he would have me doing was uh, like form shooting because uh, my form was so bad for the entire practice. It was so bad that he wouldn't even let me shoot on the hoop. Um, and so, in his dry sense of humor, did not help at all. Uh, but um, after getting together with him every week for a while, uh, I started uh, really bonding with him, um, and I slowly but surely started getting better. But uh, going into seventh grade, he became my mentor, and I really needed that. Um, going into that year, um, but he has taught me like a lot of things basketball-wise, but more importantly, he taught me the importance of putting 100% into everything that you do for God, um, and that he helped instill some confidence into me uh, that I didn't have before I started getting together with him. Uh, but after moving through the junior high, he was the leader actually, uh, into the teens, I was coming off a really rough year which was eighth grade, I could definitely say that was the toughest year so far in my young life spiritually. Uh, I was having a tough time with my parents. Um, I was having a rough time at school. Um, I was going to parties, I had impure relationships, and I just did not have any connection uh, towards the end of the year uh, in the junior high. I didn't want to go uh, to any of the events or anything because I felt like no one connected with me. Um, but. Uh, there was teen camp right after uh, I got out of school, and I was not excited to go to it. Uh, but it ended up being the place that I could actually say changed my life. Um, I was in the cabin with some guys from Greater Long Beach Church, uh, Aiden Huerta, uh, Caleb, and uh, Justin Montclair was our counselor. Um, and I didn't uh, know Justin Montclair at all, actually. Um, but uh, his openness and honesty made me closer to him than almost anyone else I knew within a week. Um, and the lessons were convicting, but the godly friendships I made were uh, what really turned me to God. Um, but coming back from teen camp, I knew I needed to make Jesus Lord. Uh, it impacted me so much. I remember the last time I spoke was uh, sharing about teen camp. Um, but throughout the summer, it was like the rest of the summer, it was like a WWE wrestling match with the Holy Spirit, but it was pretty obvious who's won. Um, I remember the, the study uh, that really cut me to the heart was the sin study. Um, and I, I feel like that's the study that should. But being cut off from God because of my sin hit me hard because believing in God wasn't enough to be in the light. Um, the study had my anxiety levels at an all-time high, but it gave me more motivation to do whatever it took to be in the light. Um, and towards the end of my studies, I felt more and more of a love for Jesus that I haven't ever, ever felt before. Uh, some things that really stuck out to me about Jesus were, was obviously his love for everybody, but the fact that he was a human, but he still was willing to do what he did for us. 
uh, was amazing. Like, like he still had every emotion that us humans do, because he was human, but he still died on the cross for us, for people that hated him. I, I, can't, I, I can't see anyone else doing that. Um, but uh, I remember just feeling this fire, spiritual fire. Uh, uh, Dustin and Justin, I remember with Dustin and Justin, uh, we were up in, about till one, studying uh, the cross, and then we got up like four or five hours later to study salvation. So just like I remember having that spiritual fire, and um, I, I still have it t to this day. Um, after getting baptized, I know going into high school uh, where there's no other disciples would be a challenge, but it turns out uh, there, even though I'm the only disciple there, there's still a lot of kids who want a relationship with God um, among, amidst all the, all the, uh, the a school that's full of atheists and obnoxiously prideful football players. Um, even they want to study the Bible, which is awesome. Uh, and there's uh, just one thing that I can say has really helped me um, is having adults that you know have your back. And I'd just like to uh, say to all of you adults, and I'm not just speaking for myself, I feel like I'm speaking for every uh, teen disciple, is that, um, that you guys would just pray for us. Um, and the fact the, the, the fact that we know that we have you guys, uh, we have you guys um, means a lot to us, and it helps us be more of a, a light to uh, others in our school. Because um, if we don't feel like we have any uh, adults that have our back, like, like what's the point? It feels like because we have no one that cares about us sometimes, uh, except for Jesus. But we need a reminder from adults sometimes, um, and we need adult relationships. Um, um, but, yeah, uh, a scripture that really goes along with that is Second Thessalonians 3, one, uh, verses 1 through 2. Um, and it's, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Um, so, just, uh, I'd like to thank every, each and every one of you in this room uh, that I've ever talked to, because you guys have had an impact on me. Um, and everyone, seriously. Um, but I love you guys, and thank you. Okay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so my name is Katrina McKinley, and I was raised very religious. So I grew up with a foundation of going to church, um, believing in God, having a love for God. But, um, and I was baptized as a teenager in my family's church, but um, even though I loved going to church and had a love for God, I really was turned off by religion. And I felt like most adults were hypocrites. They were telling me, uh, what not to do, don't do this, don't do that. But them themselves, they were doing all those things, you know? <laughs> so I just felt kind of turned off. And so by the time I was 18 and left for college, um, I was born and raised in Chicago and went to college at USC, Fight on Trojans, and uh, <laughs> very far from home. And so, um, but right in the first week of college, I was met by disciples from the campus ministry. And some of my very close friends 
reach out to me all my four years of college. They prayed for me. They fasted for me. I went to a lot of services, mostly so that when I talked to my family on the phone, I could say, yes, I went to church. And <laughs> yes, I'm going to church. <laughs> but my life was so sinful. It was so the opposite. It was, it was partying. It was uh, impure relationships. It was um, drinking. It was, it was just a lot of sin. And I was trying to feel a need that I had, but I didn't know how to feel it. And um, so I was a dancer. I was a dance major and I was a dancer. And that lifestyle left me with a lot of eating disorders, a lot of low self-esteem. Uh, when you're a professional dancer, you get a lot of critical feedback. You're too thick, you're too this or that, and they give you a lot of ways to combat those things they want you to change, but they're very unhealthy habits. And it really um, left my life very um, broken. And I eventually burned out from being a professional dancer and I got a regular job at an office, eight to five, and that was good for me. However, it, that led to a depression. The transition from dancing and pursuing my dream and then sitting behind a desk eight to five, I just, I felt like empty again, all over again. But God, he continued to pursue me. Even though I was a professional now, I wasn't in college, everywhere I went, I met disciples. At the grocery store, in the mall, on the bus, I had a purse and a backpack full of handouts and invitation cards. And I, I don't know if there was a sign on my head, but God wanted me to go to church. And <laughs> eventually I met a woman on the bus and she said, oh, I'm going to a party, you wanna go? And you know, I needed friends, I like people, so I'm going. Went to the party, it was a disciple's birthday party. And so, there was a lot of people my age, they were happy, they were joyful, and I was like, oh, I like these, these are good people. So they invite me to go to church, so you know, I needed some church in my life again, so I went to church, next thing I know, I'm going to Sunday service, midweek, Bible talk, I'm tithing, and I'm like, what in the world? So they asked me to study the Bible, and I said yes, of course, so I studied, and the first study was discipleship, and at the end, the sister was trying to get me to say that I wasn't a Christian. But for me, you know, I was raised in a church. I got baptized. I love God. I believe in God. I felt like I was a Christian, even though my life didn't match up exactly with what uh, the Bible study showed me. Uh, my religious pride was just kind of hurt. And so I shared that experience with my family and my mom had seen the church being accused of being a cult on the news program. And so she was saying, oh no, don't go back, don't study with them, this is a cult anyway. So since I was already offended, that was my excuse to not go back. So I stopped going and I continued with my lifestyle where I was dealing with depression and and all these things, and I 
develop another eating disorder of binge, binging, which led to a super fast weight gain. And I had heart issues, breathing issues. My doctor was very concerned. So my doctor put me on antidepressants, which didn't help me. They actually made my situation worse. And I attempted suicide in the summer of 2000. And um, I was living right there on the strand in Hermosa Beach and I just went out into the ocean to kill myself, to drown. And I didn't leave a note. No one knew. I had a joyful face, and, but I was so broken and, and empty inside. And I went out to die. And I remember drowning, but then I passed out. And I woke up sometime later on the beach alive. And I just got on my knees and I prayed to God, you have to save my life because I can't do it. I can't go on. And I had, at that time, had a friendship with a woman on the bus who took the commuter bus from Hermosa to downtown with me. And we had seen a couple of movies together and hung out for coffee. And she eventually got the nerve to ask me to, to go to her church that week. And so I went, because I had had that prayer on the beach after surviving, and I said, this is God telling me I need to go back to church. So next thing I know, I'm going to church, I'm going to midweek, I'm, I'm going to Bible talk, and I'm like, is this the same church from two years ago? And sure enough, it was, but, um, <laughs> With the help of the sisters, uh, I was encouraged to get therapy to help me deal with emotionally what I was going through. And between the therapy and the Bible studies and the relationships with the women, I was able to become your sister in Christ on October 29 of 2000. And I just want to say... Don't, don't ever give up because God loves us so much. He pursued me my whole life, obviously, but from 18 to age 27, he always put people in my life to share their faith with me. And I, I, it was a nine-year journey, and I wish I had got baptized at 18 because I suffered a lot in those nine years, but I'm so grateful that God doesn't give up on us even though we may give up on ourselves. And um, the biggest thing that speaks out to me right now is that God put me in my spiritual family. Like Psalm 68.6 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. And even though I was surrounded by friends and family, I was very lonely. But God took me and he gave me a spiritual family that's helped me to stay faithful all these 18 plus years. And I'm so grateful for all of you. So thank you. And thank you for allowing me to share today. Good morning, church. It's been a great morning so far, amen. Uh, just fantastic to be able to hear from so many uh, people that normally, I'm tall, but uh, amen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so great to hear from so many different uh, voices that normally you don't get a chance to hear from. And uh, I know about you, but I feel a lot uh, closer to the individuals that were up here today. Uh, 
really just speaking from their heart, you know. Uh, none of us got together and planned what we were going to say, but there's a, a theme that uh, is running through all of these uh, messages. And my name is Paul, and uh, I'll be also sharing a little bit of my life. I'll also be leading us in our uh, time of communion. Uh, my wife, Kim, out there, and I, hello, honey. Uh, we'll be married uh, 32 years this summer. Super excited about that. Uh, it's been quite a journey. And uh, back on November 6th, 1989, at 10 o'clock at night in the Pacific Ocean, just north of Manhattan Beach Pier, we got baptized into Christ. Our sins were forgiven. Uh, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our names were written in the Book of Life. We became part of God's family. God is our Father in heaven, and Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. But, you know, we soon found out very quickly that that was really just the beginning of our journey. You know, we found out very quickly that there was very little love in our relationship and in our life. But through the Bible, through the brothers and sisters in our life, we, we learned how to have a, a godly marriage, to, to understand what it meant to love each other as a husband and wife. You know, we learned how to have friendships that we could lay down our life for another. You know, we, we learned how to have deep conviction, to speak the truth in love. You know, we also learned how to plant and water the seeds of faith in, in so many people, our friends, our family, our neighbors, and see numerous people become disciples of Jesus Christ. But there are also some serious challenges. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. You know, some of you guys, I'm sure most of you see my chair back there. I'm always sitting in it. And uh, you may wonder, what's the deal with the chair? Uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California, born and raised. I love the ocean. I'm, I'm kind of a laid back guy, but I'm not that laid back that I need to sit in a reclining chair at church, amen? You know, there's a reason for it, and, and that's what I want to talk about. You know, I was 17 years old, a, a 400-pound roll of linoleum flooring fell on my shoulder. Uh, I went to the hospital. They said I'd strained my back. I rested for a few days, put some ice on it. I was fine. It flared up again. It came, the pain came back when I was about 22. I had an MRI done, and the doctor told me that I had the back of a 65-year-old man. Gave me some recommendations, some advice, but I, you know, I just went on living my life, doing all the physical activities that I enjoy, that I love, fishing, camping, you know, playing tennis, boogie board, and body surfing. Uh, I wasn't going to let that slow me down. I wasn't going to let that stop me. You know, this went on. The, the, the pain would flare up every once in a while. I knew what to do. I'd ice it up. I'd take it easy. But in about my mid-30s, the pain became so intense that resting wasn't uh, taking care of it anymore. Finally went to a, a specialist, and I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, some other complications in there, and they ended up doing a spinal fusion at two levels in my lower back. Uh, by that time, all the disc material was gone. My bones and my vertebrae, were, they were bone on bone, literally. And the nerves had been pinched, and, and a lot of uh, damage had been done. You know, the surgery itself was a success, but my, my pain hadn't diminished. 
you know, it was during this time, and, and I'd been on bed rest for about a year and a half. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed except to use the restroom and uh, go to doctor's appointments. And I remember very, very vividly, it was a Saturday morning, nobody else was in the house, everybody was at a uh, wedding for some friends of ours in the church, and a good, very good friend of mine, he's been mentioned already this morning, Dr. Henry Kramer, was involved in the wedding, he was doing the opening prayer, and as soon as he was done, he left the wedding and he came over to visit me. He sat with me, he listened to me, he prayed with me. And I was in a very, very bad spot, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And unbeknownst to me, Henry, uh, actually in the state of California, they had a mandate where every medical practitioner had to go to uh, a seminar where they talked about the correlation between chronic pain, depression, and suicide. And there he was, out of the blue, just sitting right next to me. And I shared with him how the pain was so intense, it was the only thing I could think about. My, my mind was flooded. At night, I couldn't sleep, and my, my, play, my mind just went to dark places in the quiet of the night. How there was very little joy. Actually, there wasn't any joy left in my life. You know, my children, I couldn't play with them. I couldn't pick them up. I couldn't play catch. I couldn't go do anything that I wanted to do with them. My wife couldn't even sleep in the same bed with me at times because she's afraid she's going to hurt me. And as I'm saying all these things to Henry, he's just listening. Just listening. And I, and I didn't talk about the depression. I didn't talk about the thoughts that I was having that were rattling around in my head that I had never shared with anybody. But Henry knew. Henry knew. And he said something that would change my life forever. And I want to read it so I don't forget exactly what he said. He said, you may have lost hope in everything. Your health, your family, the church, even God. But the one thing you can't lose hope in is the hope of heaven. Paul, you will be there someday. And there will be no more pain. But today is not that day. I cried. I, I think Henry cried. I don't remember. You know, we prayed and uh, it was within six months. I, I got my cortical stimulator, which actually got me out of bed for the first time in about two years. I'm able to attend services, do the things that I can do uh, to be with you today. And, you know, we just moved on from there. Kim and I, we continued to serve in any capacity that we could. We moved the, the bed into the living room. So when you come over to our house, everything happens in the living room with the big, you know, California King bed with me laying on it. And we have our Bible talk and counseling appointments and D times. And it's, it's a little weird, I know, but, you know, but it's great. You know, we continue to help uh, in the shepherding ministry, getting with married couples. We continue to study the Bible with people. You know, I just, I just really want to take a, 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 just a moment and, and personally um, thank all of you so much for all the prayers over the years. I know many of you pray for me. I'm on your prayer list, and it makes a difference. I, I can't tell you how much it makes a difference. I really, sincerely thank you and appreciate that. 
And uh, I just want to thank you for hearing my testimony this morning. Amen. Uh, if you could be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to focus on the cross, Jesus' loving sacrifice that he displayed for us there. And it's, it's interesting, the, the, the communion is a portion of our service that was predicted, foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Jesus modeled it in the Gospels. He actually commands us to do it. And the Apostle Paul even reminded the church how to take it in a worthily manner. So it's a very important part of our worship. Reading from Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and, and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still asleep and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, we see here in, in Jesus that he was a deeply emotional person. You know, through his ministry, he displayed so many different emotions. He grieved for others. He wept for his friends and his enemies. He displayed sadness, anger, and frustration. He sighed deeply. He got tired and became weary from exhaustion. He expressed frustration, became indignant, and was intensely passionate. He also felt hope, amazement, love, compassion, joy, and peace. He was thankful, glad, and experienced deep friendships. At this time in the garden, when Jesus was preparing himself emotionally and spiritually for the last hours of his life here on earth, he was deeply distressed, troubled, anxious, and sorrowful. He experienced crushing grief and was in agony. Jesus was emotionally distraught. On the cross, he suffered terrible pain, shame, and abandonment. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. You know, sometimes we might feel like we're just the only ones going through these things. And I heard that again a couple times this morning. And it's important to realize that you're not alone. None of us is ever alone in this room. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that we have a Savior who is able to empathize 
with our weaknesses and who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet did not sin. And it's interesting, the NIV changed that word from sympathize to empathize. And I think that's beautiful. Because sympathy is somebody that has pity and sorrow for somebody else's circumstances and can't really understand and relate to them. But Jesus empathizes with us. Why? He knows how we're feeling. He was tempted. He felt every emotion known to us, but he didn't sin. So when we're down, when we're depressed, when challenges come, when we go through struggles, when we're racked with guilt, he knows. He's felt it already. He's been there before us. You know, life is hard. Sometimes we need a little help. Sometimes we need a friend to just sit down and listen to us and to pray and to keep watch over us. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to struggle. Even Jesus needed his friends to sit with him. You know, how we deal with challenges, that's the issue. How we deal with challenges as Christians, that's what makes us different from the world. That's the marked difference, distinguishes us. You know, maybe you're suffering today. You know someone who's suffering. You know, if, if you are, you know, help is available. You know, go to God in prayer, talk to a friend, get professional help from a counselor. We have counselors within our, our congregation, within our fellowship, within our church. You know, don't suffer alone in silence. There is always hope. You know, you may ask, what, what kept Jesus going through all this suffering to endure the cross? You know, the physical pain, the physical suffering, being beaten, attacked, ridiculed, tortured, mocked, and murdered. The emotional suffering, knowing that, you know, he was on his own. Everybody turning their backs on him, even though he'd gone through the countryside, feeding people, healing them, raising from them the dead, saving them. And who's left at the foot of the cross? His mom, a handful of women, and one of the disciples. You know, the spiritual suffering, knowing ahead of time that he was going to be separated from his Father in heaven for the first and only time in all of eternity because he became sin on the cross. He bore our sins. He felt our sins. He experienced all the anguish, suffering, guilt, and pain that every individual that's ever lived or will ever live there on the cross. You know, why did he do this? He did this because he loves me. He did this because he loves you. He loves all of us, but it's an individual relationship that we have with God. God knows that life here on earth is hard. He knows that we're going to have challenges and struggles. He showed compassion. He offered mercy. He brought hope. He instilled purpose. He gave victory, and he's still the same today. Amen. Turn to Revelation 21, and I'll leave you with this. You know, whatever you, wherever you're at today, whatever you're going through right now, know that God loves you. He's never done anything to harm you. He never will. 
He wants all of us to come to repentance and knowledge of the truth and to be saved. And all of his promises are true. In Revelation 21, this is a big promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You know, someday we're going to be with our Father, God in heaven, and our, our brother Jesus is going to be right there with us. You know, there will be no more tears in heaven, only laughter. There'll be no more death only life everlasting. There'll be no more mourning, only joy. And there's going to be no more crying, only celebration. There will be no more pain. God's promises are true. We all have the hope of heaven here today. All of this is possible because of the loving sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Let us remember our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let us never forget and let us always be thankful. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have, uh, you've intervened in my life and, and so many others here through your word and through the other people here in the church and continuously throughout our lives. God, thank you that when we are weak, then we are strong. Thank you that your suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and that hope does not disappoint. Thank you, God, that we can call out to you, Abba, Father, just as Jesus did in the garden. Thank you that you're our daddy that loves us unconditionally. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to live among us and experience life and all its challenges, that he felt deeply and he understands all of our struggles. Thank you that your son's body and blood redeems us throughout our life. As we take these elements that represent Jesus' body and blood, let us be reminded of his suffering and his love for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 